We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WGR. Here's the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among these in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Make no mistake where you are. All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Beautiful 11 a.m. morning. Finally, I got to wear the new sunglasses that I bought. I'd been waiting like two weeks to wear these new sunglasses outside, and uh, I finally getting to do it um, makes me feel good. It, it's, it's unfortunate, though, that right around 4.45 p.m., regardless of how nice it is today, these sunglasses will not be needed anywhere near the time that I will be close to consuming dinner, which is, again, very depressing. Here we are. In beautiful Western New York. Welcome everybody. Nate Geary here. I've got Lucas Buckley hanging out with me behind the window and on the board today. I've got some great guests for you. Joe Yurden's going to come up here from Bleacher Report in just a few moments at 1130. Uh, he and I are going to talk a little about the Sabres game last night. Preview tonight's game. The road or the home and home series between the Sabres and the Penguins. So Joe will join me at 1130 to do just that. Then at noon, I've... Um, I've got well. Listen, I've got a couple of great guests today, but one of my favorites and continues to be my favorite is uh, Will Parkinson. Will is uh, Will has a podcast. I was on his podcast this week. Uh, he covers the New York Jets. His podcast is called uh, Turn On the Jets. Uh, he does a great job. He's going to join us at twelve thirty. Before him, though, at twelve, Ryan Talbot of New York Upstate will join us, and then one o'clock, we'll round things off with my guy Greg Tomset of cover one we'll talk a little bit of obj life without von miller because that's really kind of truly becoming a reality here as obviously news earlier this week that uh well late last week that uh von miller would miss the remainder of the season um so where i want to go with the portion of this show here is to just you know you heard in lucas's update there um there's a lot happening just in the world of sports and in terms of global ramifications, right? Brittany Griner makes her way home this week. And, you know, listen, there, there's a lot you could talk about the return of Brittany Griner. And frankly, I was I was just kind of appalled at a lot of the reaction um, on, on what should be such a, in my opinion, um, happy day for everyone. An American is being returned. And, you know, it just turned into this um, terribly politicized and terribly... Um, it just was ugly. And, um, you know, I, I, I keep wanting to think, you know, like collectively we're better, uh, we're better than that, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I was, I, I felt a certain type of way, you know, scrolling through my Twitter feed and seeing not just my Twitter feed, but, you know, friends and family on Instagram and the things that, you know, people are saying about someone who has spent nine months in, you know, a prison camp in Russia, um, is American. Just it's it's good for her to be home. And, and, and I recognize there are, you know, a lot of conversations to be had about, um, you know, other people returning home and all that good jazz. And I think there's time for those conversations to happen in good faith. Um, but I also think it's it's OK to just be happy that an American has been returned home. Someone that, you know, was the face of women's professional basketball. And, you know, some of the takes around that, too, it just it's 
I don't know. I, I was just a little disappointed in humanity over the last couple of days and, and, and sort of seeing the reaction to that. And then the news last night that um, that writer Grant Wall has had passed away in Qatar covering the World Cup. And, you know, like what a difficult situation it has to be for, you know, and he, he's an NPR reporter and, you know, he, he covers some things for Fox Sports and for CBS Radio and um, he's done a lot. And if you don't know who Grant is, I didn't know who Grant was before today, before yesterday either. And I think it's just important to note. I'm not what I would call the biggest soccer fan in the world. You know, I, I, I watched some EPL. I really, two years ago, really started getting into watching Liverpool. And um, that's something like, you know, my pre my pregame, Bill's pregame show host, Joe DiBiase, and I kind of began enjoying Liverpool and kind of talking about Liverpool. And, you know, TJ Luckman's a Liverpool fan. And I met some people and... You know, it, it was kind of a sport in a game in a in a team that brought some people together, and I recognized the ability of soccer um, on an international stage to you know kind of bring people together. And um, the more and more I've read and learned about Grant Wall in the last twelve hours, um, the more and more I realize what a loss it is for the soccer community to lose such an influential, such a um, powerful writer and content creator in the space and. You know, you go to his Twitter, and he's got 857,000 followers. This is not a guy who is known in local markets. This is a national writer for NPR. And, you know, learning some of the details that are coming out. And listen, it's my, not, not my place to turn anything on this show into some sort of political indictment of people. But um, the U.S. has to do everything they can to to get his his body back as soon as possible to perform their own autopsy. Because... You know, his brother, Grant Wall's brother, was on Instagram Live yesterday, and he believes that there is some sort of foul play. This is a healthy man in his late 40s, early 50s, I think it was. And um, for him, you know, he was thrown out and, and apparently detained for wearing a pride shirt. That is a, th- a pride-themed soccer shirt. Um, and then 24 hours ago, he wrote an article um, really condemning the... Qatari government for how they were treating the workers. Several hundred workers had died trying to set up the World Cup, and he wrote a pretty scathing piece about it. And 24 hours later, he's dead. So I I think there's way more questions that the soccer community, that Americans in general should be asking, and hopefully we get the answers to those questions. Because, frankly, I think the tournament should be paused. Like, I know that seems a little dramatic, but an American writer covering the games has died with a suspend with with like a suspect of foul play. I, you know, it's not my place. It's not my time to tell soccer what they need to do. But man, I'd, I'd feel certainly I, I would feel awfully weird about continuing on with this sort of, you know, gray cloud over the entire tournament, which it is now. I mean, that that's just the reality of it. Again, this is not, I, I don't know Grant Wall. I was never, I, I, I didn't read any of his work, but I don't have to do, I don't have to read his work to appreciate the things that clearly, and, and, and the impact that he's had on other writers and other content creators. I mean, just go through your Twitter feed right now. You don't have to even follow soccer. It's everywhere. So my thoughts, my prayers, my Heartfelt thoughts and prayers go out to Grant's family and his his wife, um, his brother, and and everyone that's that's affected by this absolutely tragic, tragic moment in what's supposed to be a four year celebration of the game of soccer. Um, has this just terrible dark cloud over it, and uh, it really, truly, one hundred percent. It's just, it's an absolute shame, and uh, I, I hope that we have answers soon. Um, and, and I hope that, that there is some sort of finality for him and his family because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dark, dark time right now. Um, if you're following the game. So, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to at least mention that and and start by talking about someone that, again, I don't really know, but hope that, you know, he's able to 
his family's able to find peace. So uh, with that said, I did want to uh, dive in a little bit today into our main course topics. Um, we'll have Joe Yerdon on here coming on, like I said, at around 1130. We'll talk um, a little bit about the Sabres, the game last night. They lose in overtime 4-3. to Jeff Skinner is expected to have a hearing with the NHL. I'm not sure if that's expected to be done today or if he will be suspended or if he'll be playing tonight. Do we know that, Lucas? I believe it is today. I can double-check it, but I think I saw a thing from the player safety Twitter account saying it will be today. It will be today. Okay, so we should probably have an answer on whether or not Jeff Skinner uh, will be playing tonight. If not, um, it would be uh, it would not be a surprise to me to see, you know, Peyton Krebs get moved up or, um, you know, Rasmus Asplund back in the lineup. So there's uh, there will be some roster shuffling today based on the result of that hearing for Jeff Skinner, who, again, yesterday uh, I had a cross-check on, um, I think it was Getzel, uh, and, you know, it was right at the end of the game, right at the end of regulation, I should say, and then the Sabres ended up losing in overtime because they had a major penalty to fight off as they headed into overtime, which, you know, is essentially a death sentence for them. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about what uh, what that means with Joe Yerdon coming up at 11.30. Before then, though, I kind of wanted to precursor my conversations about this Jets game and how, frankly, important it is for the Bills, and, you know, obviously I'll be on pregame tomorrow and we'll have lots of uh, lots of opportunity to talk about this game tomorrow um, and later on this afternoon as well here on the show. But there, there's a couple of things that that have stood out to me from the last go-round, this round one match between the Bills and the Jets. And it, it feels like it happened a long time ago, but it was only a, short, a few short weeks ago. And I think there's a lot of details. And I know Jeremy White was talking about this earlier this week too, and it just kind of sparked my conversation yesterday on my podcast. We was just kind of talking about like, there's just a lot of details, little things about that game uh, a couple of weeks ago against the Jets and that loss that sort of get lost in the conversations around what happened in that game. And then, obviously, the following week, losing to the Vikings. And I think a lot of people maybe turn their attention away from what happened in that Jets game to, holy cow, what a monumental, blown opportunity it was for the Bills in that home game against the Vikings, you know, giving up a three-score lead and then fumbling on their own goal line after the defense makes a goal line stop and then going down the field, kicking a field goal at the end of regulation to bring it to overtime and then losing in overtime. Like, there's just a lot of things to that game that I think made you forget about all the little things about that first Jets matchup. And I was listening yesterday to One Bills Live, and, you know, I heard they that uh, I think it was Greg Cassell that was on talking about how in that game, you know, no Matt Milano was a big, big factor for the Bills in that game. I mean, a big, big factor. And instead of A.J. Klein, which if Matt Milano can't go tomorrow, the expectation is that A.J. Klein will take his position. And, and the difference between having A.J. Klein in there and having Terrell Bernard, I think is something that's going to give me a little bit more confidence about where this Bills team's going into this game, trying to stop the New York Jets run game. Now, by the way, the Jets, Michael Carter's been on the injury report all week. I think there's an expectation he's going to play, but he did not play last week. They've got a couple of guys that you probably have literally never heard of in that running backfield. Like, at this point, they're just, they are on running back three, four, and five. Like, that's the reality of where the Jets are. James Robinson, they traded for him, and it really hasn't gone well. He was a healthy scratch a couple of weeks. Um... But the thing that sticks in my mind about that New York Jets game more than any other thing about that New York Jets game, there's lots of things. Josh Allen was sloppy. The interception, the first interception in the red zone where, man, it's hard to really defend Josh on that on that instance, right? And it was just a boneheaded play and a bad throw and a bad decision that had a ripple effect for the rest of the game. And then the second interception, right, where it was clearly a miscommunication and, and Josh Allen's trying to force something that isn't there. And, and I thought that all game... This Jets defense did a great job disguising their zone coverages to confuse Josh Allen. And Josh Allen is not the easiest guy to confuse at this point in his career. And the things that he's seen, the things he's been able to diagnose in real time and find solutions for in real time. But it was that final drive for the Jets that went down, down the field, however many rushing attempts they had. I mean, it was several rushing attempts. Eight plays, 90 yards, something like that. The Bills pin the Jets down deep in their own territory. And they walked down the field, eight yards, nine yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, eight yards, 10 yards. And they just gashed the Bills to death. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. In this case, the paper cuts were opening pretty large wounds. And you go back to that game and Terrell Bernard on that drive just got absolutely dominated at the point of attack. Dominated. His size, Greg Cassell mentioned this, 
was really, or lack thereof, his lack of size was really on display. So I'm looking at this game as an opportunity for revenge, right? And we, the theme of Bruce and I's podcast yesterday was dishes best served cold, right? And we know revenge, best served cold. And in this game, there's a couple of things the Bills absolutely need to pay attention to. This is a different offense with Mike White. A different offense entirely. Now, if you go back, this is the other funny part about that Bills game, right? Like, Zach Wilson has the best game of his life in that game. And, by the way, the best game of his life included, like, 150 yards and one touchdown. So it's not like he went out there, threw for 350, and absolutely embarrassed this Bills defense. That's not what happened in the game. But he did things in that game that he hadn't done all season, which is get rid of the football on the top of his drops quickly, accurately, uh, with precision, leading guys open, getting Garrett Wilson involved in the game plan. Those things ultimately made running the football late in the game easier. And I think for the Bills, Mike White is a better quarterback right now than Zach Wilson is. That's just, that's the fact of the matter. You can ask any Jets fan, any Jets fan will agree. Mike White is a better fit for this offense, which is, by the way, Kyle Shanahan's offense. And you look at these uber tools guys, these toolsy quarterbacks, and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson, and, you know, even like Josh Allen, these guys with all of the elite level tools. There hasn't really been a, a track record for those guys working out in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Heard this on Wednesday when Joe Marino was on in the morning show, talking about, like, would, do you think Josh Allen would be good? in a Kyle Shanahan offense. And, you know, I think a lot of the takes were, yeah, I mean, he'd probably be pretty good, but you'd be taking away a lot of what he maybe does best and forcing him to play with precision, play with timing, footwork. And it's not lost on me that the Shanahan offense is incredibly quarterback-friendly. And the idea of Trey Lance going into that offense instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, the idea of... Zach Wilson running that offense in New York under Michael Fleur, who was Kyle Shanahan's coordinator. The idea behind all of that is that the offense is so easy that Steve Young could come out of retirement right now and run the offense. Like, that, that was the running joke on Monday Night Football this week, right? Like, oh, Steve Young, he sat down with, with Kyle Shanahan, and Shanahan quote said, you know, uh, could, could Steve Young still play in this offense because it's so quarterback-friendly, and Kyle Shanahan said, yes, of course he could still play in this offense. And it's kind of like this running joke, right? But at, at a certain point, you wonder, like, you'd think a Trey Lance that walks into a San Francisco Kyle Shanahan offense adds the additional dynamic of being a running quarterback to all the things that make it easy to, to, to throw in that offense. You're thinking, God, this could be an unstoppable offense. And what did we get? Did we get five quarters of that before the injury to happen, happened to Trey Lance? And those five quarters were so suspect that a lot of people believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be that guy moving forward. Even after this injury, that they'll bring him back next year and this will be Jimmy G's team. And then what do you do with Trey Lance? And the same can sort of be said about Zach Wilson. And part of this conversation has to be how much of this is on Zach Wilson? Do I believe Zach Wilson... Is, is going to thrive in a court in, a, in an offense like Kyle Shanahan's. In theory, he should. Every quarterback should. But there's something to be said about, again, you watch Baker Mayfield on Thursday night. I mean, unbelievable. I'm, I'm absolutely shocked Ben McAdoo was, was unable to get that out of him, right? No, you're not, you're not shocked. McAdoo's a hack. He's a terrible offensive coordinator. We know this. He was not a good head coach. And he was not a good offensive coordinator. So a lot of this really, to me anyways, has to do with being able to run an offense that best fits the skill set of your quarterback. And even when you believe you have this super quarterback-friendly offense and system and scheme, and you're actively watching your quarterback struggle in it, you have to ask, what could we do differently? And I don't think that happened in New York. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. And maybe I'm projecting, but... I would say it's insane that the Bills left that game losing to Zach Wilson for him to get benched two weeks later. He played the next game. The interview happened. 
the the Patriots performance happened, the afterwards interview where he said, you know, no, uh, he doesn't feel doesn't feel like he should take any blame for the defense putting up a performance good enough to win, and then they lost. All of that happened like literally two weeks after. It's crazy, absolutely crazy to me. So, yeah, Mike White's a different quarterback. Mike White, I think, is the just absolutely perfect fit for what Michael Fleur, what this Kyle Shanahan offense is asking. He's decisive. He's confident. He throws the ball with accuracy. And, you know, we're getting beautiful weather today. But I do wonder what tomorrow's going to be like. I know this week we were 30s, maybe high 30s, low 30s, some sort of wintry, rainy mix. We'll see how that offense looks. How it? I would tell you I'd fear that offense a lot more if Brees Hall was still in it. But it's not. Brees Hall's not in that offense right now. Injured, out for the season, ACL tear. So we'll see. But I think at the end of the day, again, like the, these details of Zach Wilson just bawling out, doing everything that that coaching staff had been asking him to do up till that point that he was unable to show, he shows against the number one defense in DVOA in the Bills. Now, no Jordan Poyer, no Matt Milano. So there was some, there was some aspects to why that maybe was the case. But you go back in that game and you have the the dropped or well, the interception that wasn't really an interception for Tremaine Edmonds, right? People look back at that. I don't look back at that play as much because they ended up getting the sack fumble. Von Miller, rest in peace. He didn't die. Just, you know, we don't get to watch him play football anymore this year, which sucks. Um, but Zach, Von Miller gets a sack fumble, what, like five, six plays later on, the same, on that same drive. And the Bills get the ball on the turnover and they end up punting. They don't score on the drive. So the Bills need to find ways to score touchdowns. And where I'm going with this is where I believe the New York Jets are beatable. Like, I believe you can take advantage of them. Middle of the field. DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner are two really good, very high-level outside corners. I mean, in the game right now, you may not have two guys on the boundary playing better football than the two New York Jets cornerbacks. Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed. But in the middle of that defense, you can things can be had in the middle of that defense. I think this is a big, big game for James Cook. Back-to-back weeks, I think he's in store for a big, big game. Dumping the football down and forcing Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley to make tackles. But I also think the conversation for me still has not revolved enough around Dawson Knox. And this has to be the type of game where Dawson Knox should eat. It has to be that game. The middle of the field is the weakness of this Jets defense. I need Ken Dorsey to go after it. Like, I, that's the area of the field that I need Ken Dorsey to unlock Dawson Knox this week. It's got to happen. It can't just be we're dumping the ball off to the running backs. I like what I've seen when they've dumped the ball down to James Cook. He's capable after the catch. Singletary, he's a Beasley guy. He catches, he turns, he falls. He does not really have that yards after catchability. That's why you draft James Cook. This is the game that you unleash that. But to me, this has got to be the game that Dawson Knox does 8 for 90 in a score. Like, like he's got to have that type of impact in this game because they don't have linebackers that can stick with him. They don't have a slot corner game. That can stick with. That's why you saw a majority of the snaps in that New York Jets game feature Stephon Diggs in the slot. They knew that's where they had to attack this defense, and yet they did not have one pass attempt between the hashes. That has to change this week. Let's go to Matt in his car. He's been driving. Matt, you're on Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome, Matt. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up is that uh, we kept getting gassed in the uh, the run game, especially on those outside runs, in large part uh, because Jaquan Johnson mm. uh, would come up from the safety spot, uh, take a terrible angle and try and make a play in the backfield for like a two-yard loss. Instead of being patient, breaking down and waiting for the – taking the right angle – and making a play for a one-yard gain, um, and instead he got bounced out. Yeah. Uh, he allowed Carter to bounce outside him and go for like 20 yards like twice. Um, plus, you know, a couple other runs where they weren't like huge gains, but you're sitting there like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why are you, why are you trying to make a play in the backfield when you can just, you know, t- make the right play and not try and be a hero? Right. 
You know, um, and you know what's funny, so, Matt, is like I, I've been thinking about all week, like all these little things you seemingly seemingly forgot about that game. And the Jaquan Johnson angle is something that I hadn't even really crossed my mind. I mean, that was one of the most maddening parts of that game. I mean, there was so I mean, there was a handful of plays where the angle he took, you were like, you learned that in little league football. Like to to not take an angle like that. And that's that's just another really good example of like something small, it was only a handful of plays that I think had a big impact in that game. Yeah, for sure, because one of them was uh, down by the goal line when he bounced it outside for 20 yards. Yep. And it could have been like That's a, right. I was, know, it was like second and long. A two-yard gain, and they're still backed up on like a second or third and long. Yep. No, I, I know. I know. That, that was on the last drive. Yeah, no, that was yeah. – um, yeah, th- thanks for the call, man. Thanks for bringing that up. I Like the Jaquan Johnson angle, having Jordan Poyer back in this game, just hugely important. So great, great point, man. I appreciate that. All right, we're going to take a timeout. We're going to switch gears, go to hockey here. We've got Joe Yurden. Uh, he is uh, got his noted jerk Substack. He does uh, a podcast with Lance Lakowski of the Buffalo News, and he's a contributor over at Bleacher Report. He's going to join us next. We're going to talk about last night's game, tonight's rematch, and uh, what to do, what to do, Kevin Adams. All that's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday right here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk Saturday. Joining me now on the Western Hotline, my good pal, the man, the myth, the legend. What else? Um, very handsome, very successful. Um, the toast of Richmond Avenue. Um, <laughs> soon they will. There will be a bust of his face at the Essex Street Pub. His name <laughs> is Joe Yerdin. Welcome. Good morning, Joe. How are you, my friend? Morning, Nate. That's uh, I. I don't know that I've ever gotten such a uh, such a warm opening to the show. I don't know. You've set the bar very high for yourself. If I should ever come back on the on the program. Well, that's that's it. Listen, I, I recognize um, that my the you know the bounty that you charge me every time you're on this show like isn't enough. So I just like I better be really nice. So next time uh, he he doesn't you know his his accountant doesn't invoice me the the same amount. Like I'm trying to get the, the hometown friendly discount. You know. Yeah, well, you know, listen. You know, next time it'll just be uh, it'll just be a blue light as opposed to hey. a uh, you know a super premium IPA. That that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, like maybe Miller High Life or something. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> Joe, champagne um, and beers. You know? Yes, the champagne and beers. Exactly. That like it's it's all about class. We're all classy over here. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about last night. Um, I am of the mind that Jeff Skinner's going to probably not be playing the game tonight. Yeah, I think that's a, I, I, that seems like a pretty safe bet. Uh, I don't really – I never know what to expect from players. Yeah, safety. you're right. Um, but he, he was assessed a match penalty, which is automatic one-game suspension upon review, of course. So, I mean, there's a possibility that, you know, player safety could talk to him and be like, you know what, we, we gave you a five-minute major. Your team lost in overtime because of it. Maybe that's punishment enough, or maybe that would be one of two games that they might have thought they would suspend him for so. I think it's going to be it's going to be at least one. If it's more than that, I'm I might, I might actually be a little surprised. If it's less than that, I'd probably be surprised, but less so. Yeah, and listen, I mean, you you go back and watch that play, and like, yeah, it's it's a dangerous play, not one that I would say I would condone, and I certainly don't. If it was the other way around, I feel like I would still want some some level of suspension, some level. Um, but again, like to your point, the league, it's just so hard to predict because a case in case out basis, there really is no level of consistency that the league takes when they're talking about player safety. But like having said that, I, I do think that if you're looking at Jeff Skinner, you're looking at a guy that does not really have like a history of, you know, sort of dangerous plays on the ice. And maybe that plays in his favor. Yeah. He, I mean, he does have, he does have a record. Granted the record, his, his other suspension was in 2012. Uh, yeah. 2012 when he was with Carolina. Uh, and he got two games for kicking Scott Nichol. So uh, a bit of a violent history, I guess. But 
but he's not a he's not a first time offender certainly, but that's that, that's not an offense that will be hold against, held against him. It's just something that might get a casual mention uh, in the suspension video should he get one. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, there there is no history. I mean, he's not a frequent offender, uh, and he's certainly not known for doing this kind of stuff. And uh, honestly, I mean, I, listen, I, I'm not going to point it, you know, put any blame on you know officiating for how the game turned out last night. But the, the, things got a little bit did. sketchy. So. Uh, you know, it, it kind of bubbles up to that point. Certainly, when you have a couple, yeah, not just Jake Gensel, but you know, Ricard Raquel also taking a chop at, at Anderson while he's got the got the puck covered. Yep. I mean, it's 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 going to get some kind of retribution. But this is tonight's the last time Pittsburgh and Buffalo play each other, unless somehow there's a playoff uh, right. a playoff series in the future. But um, but tonight's the last time, and I, I gotta you know, unless they really want to up the drama quotient, then they won't suspend Skinner. But I got a funny feeling he's gonna get he's gonna sit tonight. You know, t- t- tell me kind of like what you thought overall. It's kind of early for this series to just be over, which I, I- yeah. I've thought that they've been some of the most entertaining games. I- these are two closely matched teams, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're, they're they're kind of at the opposite ends yes. of the spectrum right now. You know, Pittsburgh's an older team. It's, it's very obvious. I mean, Jeff, you know, Jeff Carter scores the, the game winner last night. Jeff Carter feels like he's been around forever. You know, you know, Crosby's, Crosby and Malkin are both in their, you know, mid-30s. You know, Chris Letang, who didn't play last night because he had, he had a stroke a week ago. Uh, also, you know, in that sort of elevated age range. And, well, I mean, Jake Ensel's the new guy around, but he's 29, 30 years old or something like that, I think. I don't know. I, mean, I might have my ages wrong there. But but their top talent is, is older. Um, and you saw Buffalo kind of take it to him with, you know, with the fast skating, really pressed him. I mean, yep. he's the, the, the first period and a half, two periods. Pittsburgh was hemmed in constantly, and it was every line from Buffalo that was doing it. And it was you know, even Crosby's lines getting stuffed in their own zone by, you know, by, uh, but was it Jost, Middlestat, and, and Olsen? So, I mean, it's everybody was on point for Buffalo last night. It's just, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, result, but I mean, they're pretty close. I mean, Pittsburgh's been playing great, and Tristan Jari played a great game last He did. Uh, and he's been fantastic for the last, geez, I think, month or so. So, I mean, there, there are things. I mean, Pittsburgh's been playing good. They started off the season a little slow, but they're playing good now. But I mean, Buffalo's been right there with them. So uh, it's it's funny that they're so evenly matched. But I, I don't know. I look back to Buffalo's you know, the, the eight game losing streak there when you know ha- you know three quarters of the defense was out injured. You know, maybe that that's kind of the separator right now with these teams. Yeah, and like I think that first period just to kind of build on what you're talking about like it, it felt like the Sabres could have been up three nothing I mean that especially yeah. early in that game I mean shots at one point I think were like 13 to three um, but also a lot of that goes to I think something that I've heard Don Granato talk about before is when you can create pressure consistently that mm-hmm. leads to relieving pressure off of your blue line and off of your defense and you kind of saw that yesterday and they were suffocating every time that Pittsburgh got a break out the other way, and they were able to finally find possession. Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought that the Sabres defense didn't matter who was out there. Even, like, the Casey Fitzgerald and Jacob Bryson line, still it, it felt like they were suffocating, and they were getting pucks, they were getting to loose pucks, getting them on the stick of somebody else quickly on an outlet pass and out of the zone. And there just was so many limited chances in that first period. And then things obviously opened up in the second, which you 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 do assume in these games, like, that first period was a lot of feeling out, but I thought the Sabres dominated. I, I thought if you look at like if they look at this game in two halves, Joe, the Sabres really dominated the first half of play in that game. Yeah, no, they absolutely did, and it was it was a little bit of a, it may have been a little bit of a shell shock for Pittsburgh because you know because Buffalo did press them so hard. You know, their first matchup this year wasn't quite like this. It was it was not like that, and I, I'm trying to think if that was in the middle of that eight game streak, but um, but it was a different different pace of play in that game. Last night was a, which was a much higher octane uh, performance out of Buffalo. And yeah, they, 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 they ran Pittsburgh around quite a bit. You know, things get a little bit, you know, get a little bit more physical and Pittsburgh made adjustments. I don't, don't think that uh, Mike Sullivan, Mike Sullivan's one of the best coaches in the NHL mm-hmm. period. Um, and he knows how to get his team to adjust and he knows how to make adjustments and they're veterans. It's a veteran squad. So they know what they're doing. Um, so they were able to, to make adjustments to what Buffalo was doing. And then, you know, some penalties happen, you know, questionable or not, both sides, whatever. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the special teams can change the game. But 
But even last night, I, I, Buffalo's PK was was pretty strong. Yes, I mean, it was. I mean, never mind. I mean, never mind. You know, it's a four on three power play in overtime where you know they got to kill. <laughs> they had to kill like nine tenths of the period to even have a shot to to, to get it to even strength. But uh, but it, it, but everything was was going right for the most part. And I know Pittsburgh's power play still scored a couple of goals, but Sabres PK was played very well. I thought. The uh, the soothing sounds of Joe Yurden uh, there on our West Her Hotline, noted hockey substack, the Maintenance Day podcast with Lance Lakowski, and he's also a Bleacher Report contributor as well. Joining us to talk a little Sabres last night. Let's kind of fast forward to tonight, Joe, because I, I, I look at this and I say, okay, you know, they got the best of the Sabres yesterday. The Sabres end up pulling a point out. If they can turn this little home and home into a three-point sort of uh, soiree. It feels like a pretty big win for the Sabres, considering I like their chances in a back-to-back against a team as old as the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins. Yeah, and Buffalo Buffalo historically kind of plays pretty well in Pittsburgh. You know, it, it, it's funny because Pittsburgh's been so good for so long, and, you know, the Sabres, of course, have not been very good for so long. Uh, but the, but those games in Pittsburgh are a different sort of tone, and I I have no explanation for it. Other than they they get they get up for these games, uh, which makes sense. You know, it's it's a loud crowd. Pittsburgh fans are, are wild. We know that already, uh, and those the, the players feed off of it. But Buffalo guys get up for that game, get up for these games, and they're going to be up for this one tonight. Believe me, after what happened uh, late in the third period last night, they're going to be fired up for it. You know what? Don Granato said last night he's very okay with that. You know, if it gets the guys gets the guys ready and pumped up for the game, then that's good. But uh, but this it's uh, but the young legs can have can have an effect. Uh, and, you know, both teams are going to be putting their backup guys out there, I, presumably. Yep. I mean, uh, Casey DeSmith for Pittsburgh, and I believe DeSmith played the first game against Buffalo this year, and uh, Lukanen for, for Buffalo tonight. So could be a little bit more open, could be a little bit more uh, could be a little bit more interesting. We'll see. But but certainly with, with young legs and being able to do that, and some, presumably somebody else is coming into the lineup for, for Buffalo tonight, whether it's Henestrosa, or Asplund coming in for Skinner. We'll see what we'll see what the line matchups look like, but uh, it's gonna be it's 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 one where speed and youth should be able to have an advantage on Pittsburgh. This feels like a great opportunity, Joe, to see what Peyton Krebs could do in a situation on a line on a wing with Tage Thompson and 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 for me, anyways, Alex Tuck. Like it, like it feels like this is an opportunity. He scores the other night in the nine four romping, and uh, you know he's finally starting to maybe catch a stride. Like maybe this is a good opportunity just to to see what he looks like in extended offensive minutes. No. Yeah, no, I agree with that um, because I mean, finding somebody to replace Skinner on the top line is extremely difficult, and I don't think they want to touch that. No, you know, the, I don't either. Line, I don't think they want to touch that. Or uh, uh, <laughs> what did Jody Biasi called them the Legion of Zoom? I Which think last night. might be the best. Yeah, that might be the best might, nickname I've heard. Might be the winner, but uh, whatever you want to call them, I, I don't know. You want to break that one up. Um, although you could say you can move Krebs. With those, with two of those guys, and then you know, move one of them up. Whether it's you know, it's Paterka or Quinn or whatever, but um, you you could do that. I think Krebs is much better at center, but you know, listen, it's a one game, it's a one game thing to do. Who cares? You know, figure it out. You know, you can you can get things taken care of from there and 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 get it done. But um, but I don't know I, the way. And fans, I, I assume fans don't want to hear this, but the way Middlestat and Olafson played last night, probably the best game in a, in a couple yep. of weeks for both of them. Uh, maybe you move one of those guys up into that spot just to say, hey, listen, you earned it last night. Let's see what you can do in uh, in in this spot. So, uh, you know, I mean, middle set of what three assists, Olsen gets a goal. So, good night for those guys. But it's uh, it'd be, be very interesting to see how they how Don wants to set that up. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought up Olofsson and Middlestad because, yeah, I mean, obviously Middlestad finishes yesterday on top of the score sheet, three points, three assists yesterday. Um, and it was maybe less about, you know, the score sheet as much as it was just every time they were on the ice, it felt like there was some level of offensive impact. And when Victor Olofsson's on the ice, I mean, that's what you have him there for. You're not, you're not, you know, no one's selling themselves that Victor Olofsson is some sort of two-way forward. Um, But, you know, and that's kind of always why I envisioned the best version of that line could really look something, you know, with like Asplund on a wing and Middlestad at center. But, I like what Jost has brought to that line. Like he's brought this calming effect of a guy that can play both ways. Um, does not. I think he's got a little bit more offensive juice than Asplund does, and maybe that's why there's a better fit there. I, I'm not here to tell you, Joe, that I think they've figured out 
their third line situation moving forward. But I'm here to tell you that it is better with Jost there than without him. Yeah, and, and I mean, Jost has skill. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, he's he's being used in more of a defensive manner uh, here. I mean, he's playing you know, he's playing more time on the PK. Uh, certainly with with Middlestat and Olson, he's the guy that's got to mind that's got to mind the shop on defense. Um, he's he's that's that's kind of the role that he played in Colorado a little bit. I mean, he wasn't in Minnesota too long, but that's kind of what he was doing there too. But um, but he's a guy that knows how to do that side of the, that side of the job, but can also he can pass it. I mean, the, the pass he hits Olson with last night, where it's Olson yeah, that was beauty through the back door. I mean, he puts it puts it right. I mean, nutmegs one of the uh, the Penguins players, you know, passes it right between his legs. And the only guy who saw Olsen coming was was Crosby, and Crosby was too late to react to it, because by the by the time he saw Olsen breaking in that, he was he did one of those oh crap moves and yep. tried to dive and knock it away and didn't get to it. So it, it's it, it's a welcome change. Now I don't know if it's been noticeable from fans or whatever, but Krebs and Jost have switched off on their lines pretty regularly. Yeah, uh, and I, I think I don't know if it's by period or what. I, I should be tracking these things. Um, but it's uh, it, it is noticeable, and I think it. I noticed it last night because Jost was on that line, uh, or yeah, Jost was on the line with uh, Middlestat and um, uh, Olafson in the second period where it's the long change. So maybe that's a factor in it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I I have to look into it a little closer, or maybe it's just that Don. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I'll do do that this afternoon. But um, but it, it it's it, it's. It's very good to see Jost just kind of fit in the way he, that he has. Because, I mean, he's a guy looking to win, you know, to earn a new opportunity with a new team. Been a pretty tumultuous year for him. I mean, he gets traded off the eventual Stanley Cup champions at the trade deadline to a team that didn't win the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, that's yeah, it's tough. Still to swallow. Yeah, it's tough. There's no doubt about that. I And, listen, I think this is a good transition point before I ask you about uh, football and before I ask you about your, your beloved Detroit Lions, who, by the way, I've – Got some feelings that I want to share with you. Uh, before I do that, I, I do want to just kind of ask you your thoughts on you know where this team is now because I, I think that there was this level of expectation, maybe inflated expectations after the October start, and we've done this in years past with the Sabers. Like we know that these Octobers turned into lousy Novembers, and we saw exactly that. But the thing we haven't seen in years past is the ability to fight out of it. And I've been impressed with this team's resolve and getting out of what I think was something that every other team in the last five to seven to eight years, an eight-game losing streak in the middle of November, all but dooms this team. They don't come out of it. They don't bail back. The The water comes on, and there's no, there's no teamwork and no bucketing of that water to get out to just get back to even. This team is a game away from getting back to even, and they're the highest-scoring team in hockey. If you're Kevin Adams, how do you balance the desire to look at what they're doing and try to infuse some level of additional talent? And 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 do you wait or or do you say like right now this team clearly needs another goaltender and you know whether there is available guys out there or not and or does this team need another maybe legitimate a third legitimate defenseman? I think these are all good questions. I guess the question for you Joe is how do you decide if you're Kevin Adams what to do based on maybe success earlier happening than you thought and and maybe using what Tim Murray did as a cautionary tale of getting ahead of yourself in a rebuild i don't i just for me joe they didn't have a guy like Tage Thompson they didn't have a bona fide second line of guys that are 22 and younger um there are signs that this team is not a temporary flash in the pan there are signs that they need help and i think that that those signs of needing help maybe outweigh wanting to be patient it's funny you say all this because if this was what 2017 and you and i would have swore you were talking about uh, or in 2017-2018, the first year, Sean McDermott's first year of the Bills. Yeah, right. It's it's it's, it's a similar it's similar, but it's not because the Bills were actually in a playoff spot uh, in the middle of the season. The Sabers are not right now, um, but they have with all of these young guys and everything. There there is a plan in place certainly uh, for what Kevin Adams wants to do. And I'm not going to call the process. I don't want to get any trust the process nonsense <laughs> out there. But but there is there there is a, a you can see it down the line you can see all these young guys in rochester that are 
the 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 wheel is turning now for those guys. You know, they got they've gotten adjusted to that league. Now the points are coming. So like it, everything that we saw last year, when everybody was screaming to get Quinn and Paterka up here, you know, in November, December, whatever it was, and they're like, you got to get them up here. We got to get them up here. We need the goals. Need the goals. And they didn't come up here. <laughs> yep. They didn't come up here at all because the plan was in place to they they need those games in Rochester, they need those games at the top of the lineup. So the answer is not going to come from within this season. If you want to change it up from the outside, you're, I think it's a drastic change in what the, the idea is yeah. of what you want to do. And I, I, I think that's one where the, the expert, I, I assume I, I, you know, everybody's going to say, we want to win the Stanley cup every year. Okay, fine. But the expectation I think was certainly not to be in a playoff spot already. And this, you know, if you get to that, get to that place and things are going in the right direction and you have it there for you. Okay. Make a push for it. But I don't think you go out of your way right now to really kind of upset the apple cart with it. So I think, I think, you know, they, they, they have an idea of what they want to do and what they want to, how they want to play it out. Obviously the fans want to, you know, say, you know, forget it, just go for the playoffs, go for it now. Um, and, you know, goaltending is a question. Defensive depth is an issue, whatever. Those are things that can be addressed down the line. Now, are, obviously, there's guys out there that can change that up. You know, Jacob Chikorin rumors are all over yep, the place. Yep. You know, that's, that's, that's the big fish out there. And the, the Sabres have the pieces to make a trade like that if they want to. And if they can, if, if they so see it. Um, but, you know, Adams isn't a guy that's going to make a rash action. He's not going to just kind of fly off and say, oh, that, that's out there. Let me go get it. You know, Tim Murray was, is the guy that would have done that. And it kind of backfired on them, but uh, but there's but the plan that they have in place, I don't see a move like that right now. If we get another month into the year and they're within like two, three, four points of a playoff spot, then I think the conversation changes. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. All right, Joe, this is time. Um, so let me tell you, let me give you my take, and then you can tell me if you think I'm borderline insane uh, because you just you know better. Um, <laughs> I forget who I was listening to this week. Um, I was watching ESPN, and then I was listening to maybe it was Pablo Torre's podcast. Somebody's podcast, they started talking about the Lions and this like true belief that they're going to win out. And not only just win out and finish 10-7, and seven, um, but, you know, like that means being a playoff team. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, keeping an eye on, like, similarly with the Sabres, right? Because it sort of feels like maybe those are two franchises that have awfully similar, maybe – paths forward here I mean just incredibly young at, at the most important positions and then you've got Jared Goff who I think right now is just playing at a high enough level I'm, I'm not here telling you he's playing a like top five quarterback but he's playing like right. a top 10 top 12 quarterback I mean that's just reality look at the numbers um, yep. and when with a team like Minnesota who is 10 and 2 with Kirk Cousins like this feels like if if Detroit really does and can beat the Vikings this week I think a lot of people are going to turn their attention to what the Lions look like as a 10-7 and 7 playoff team and what they could potentially do in the playoffs. And, and I feel like as, a, as, as someone that has followed the team as long as you have, mm-hmm. it's got to feel pretty good that people are having open conversations about that and they're not ironic conversations. Yeah, it's, I've allowed some hope to enter my heart, which is saying quite a bit. I, you know, I've loved the way the offense has played all season. You know, defense was the issue, but the second they fired the secondary coach, Everything changed. Yeah, tell me. I don't, that, I by the way, that, that's not that normal. Works. That's not normal, no. by the way. No, it's no, it's very much not. If it was the entire defensive staff, I would have understood. But, uh, but just one little change like that, and maybe it's coincidence. I don't know, but it sure doesn't feel like a coincidence. Uh, they were the worst defensive team in the league, and now they're middle of the pack. Okay, <laughs> all right, like great change. Like, but that's what's got them back into it because they've been scoring points has never been the problem. Um, but you know, Jamison Williams just came back. Like his first game, he got a few snaps last week. I think if they beat Minnesota, the conversation changes quite a bit because the end of their schedule is very weak. And it's my here's how it plays out they can win out, they'll lose the tie break for the playoffs <laughs> to Seattle. Why? Because they couldn't win a shootout game with Seattle earlier in the season, a 48-45 game where they couldn't stop anything. They, they, they couldn't have stopped you and me from connecting on 25-yard uh, bombs all right. the whole game. So, all right. uh, listen, I, and I'm not fast, and I'm old, and I, you know, I'm, you're a few years removed from your quarterback days. So, you know, listen. So, I mean. Yeah, with that shoulder of yours, yeah, you would not be throwing to me, pal. No, that's, that's not what <laughs> no. would be happening. No, no. So, it's, uh, 
Lions history shows that, that that's the game that will decide it. And the last game of the year being in Green Bay, I don't know. Oh, you gosh. know, it's it's like having it's the end boss. You know, yes. Like if, if it comes down to that game, the the history they have with Green Bay, I'm just I'm waiting for a 75 yard field goal with you know a 95 wind you know 95 mile an hour wind at their back to win it for Green Bay with one second left to to, to keep Detroit from making the playoffs because that's how it goes that's exactly how it always goes I mean Justin Tucker kicked like almost a 70 yarder against them last year to win it and you know it's just don't get me there's a thousand games that they've lost exactly like that and this season is is very much designed to have some 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 kind of looking back and going like, geez, if they just did this yeah. one thing, yeah. that cost them. Well, so, I hope that's not the case, Joe, because... I, I hope not either, because I'll lose my mind again. They're kind of turning into my my NFC team. And I feel like they were to start this season. I'm, I root for Jared Goff's success. And I like Dan Campbell a lot. He has... Mm-hmm. I thought that the whole beginning shtick was kind of funny. And then you watch Hard Knocks and you realize just how genuine this dude is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, they're easy to root for. I'm I'm rooting for him. So I'm, I'm hoping for the best for you, buddy. Um, yeah. And uh, worst case scenario, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll drown our sorrows in, in Week 18 if it doesn't work well, you know? Well, look at it this way. Uh, I'm very upset Baker Mayfield is a Ram and that he got them a win because uh, that's that's a top five pick for Detroit waiting to happen, and that's their that's the next quarterback in line. So if if Baker went, had them went out, I'm going to be absolutely furious. Yeah, that that would be a tough pill to swallow. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Baker Mayfield of all people, too. Yeah, right. Oh God. All right, Joe. I appreciate your brother. Enjoy your drive into Pitt. Uh, enjoy the game later, and uh, we'll chat soon, buddy. Yeah, you got it, Nate. Thanks for having me. Of course, as always. Joe Yurden there on our Westar Hotline. I'm just incredibly late to break. So we're going to take a timeout, and on the other side, we'll get another break in, and then we got um, Ryan Talbot in New York Upstate. He's going to be joining us right around, right after the 12 o'clock hour. That's coming up here on WGR. All right, super quick, the quickest of all segments right here. i got to take another time out, get our next commercial break in. On the other side, Ryan Talbot joins us. We'll talk more Bills and Jets. That's coming up right here. Don't go anywhere on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 